This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Good morning, Heidi, from California. Hello, Mom, from New York City. So we have got a really good guest on today, and I want to get right to him because he has lived a full life, hasn't he, Heidi? Dr. Coy Cross. I know you're going to introduce him. I like his name, though, so I had to say it first. (laughs) But uh, yes, I'm completely impressed with this man. He has written a lot of books. He has done a lot of different things with his life, and I'm looking forward to having him on. I am, too, because, you know, having a man on who's had a full life experience and has gone on to kind of find a spiritual path, I find it quite exciting and interesting. So uh, let me introduce Quay Cross. He's a retired historian, and he's written books on Lincoln and Horace Greeley and just the smith Morell father of land-grant colleges. But his greatest contribution, he feels, is being a caregiver to his wife, Carol, as she struggled with ovarian cancer. And he has written a book called Dance, and it's spelled D-H-A-N-C-E. His wife, Carol, he took care of her while she struggled with cancer, and dealt with his spiritual practices. So, uh, welcome to the show, Coy. Thank you. It's great to have you on. And uh, with this Lincoln movie out, are you getting some play on your Lincoln book? Uh, not as much as I would like. <laughs> <laughs> I think you uh, should. Well, he had a, quite a life, and I would m- imagine you draw from uh, people like Lincoln, too, in, as you've gone on with your spiritual journey. So we can we can talk about that. I know Lincoln had a, a child that died, and... Uh, and had, I don't know, his his wife, no, did not die, but she had some mental illness or whatever, some question. But anyway, I'd love to have a a further discussion with you about that someday. But let's talk about your journey. You had, you started out married, you had three kids, and you divorced, and then your second wife, uh, you married, and she had an automobile accident where she had some brain damage, right? Yes, yes. And uh, and you talk about in your book that you coped with it by drinking, and uh, and you didn't you know know exactly how to cope with it, and you let and you divorced your second wife, and then you met, and I assume this was then a Carol Ruth Knox, and I just want to tell our audience quickly something about Carol Ruth. She was a fabulous minister from Walnut Creek, California, and had a huge following, and. Uh, she was, uh, her house was invaded by a mentally ill person, basically. I remember she was pregnant, dressed as a man, and she shot Carol Ruth. And as I understand it, uh, Reverend Knox, we'll call her Reverend Knox because your third wife is also named Carol. So anyway, Reverend Knox was shot. Now tell us, at that time, you were working with her, right? Or she was uh, helping you with your spiritual path? Well, I I had met uh, Reverend Knox Oh, probably about five years before that. And she had spoken at a small uh, unity church in Modesto, California. And I was in the audience, and it was one of those situations, and I'm sure most of, most people have had them. When you're in a large group of people, and, and you look across, and you see someone, you catch their eye, and it's like you've suddenly just met an old friend. It's like, ah, there you are. That's how it felt when I first heard her. And for the first time in my life, I, I was hearing a spiritual message that just absolutely resonated uh, with the core of my being. And 
not long after that, I moved from Modesto over to Wonga Creek, and just down the street from uh, River Knox's church. And we ended up being really dear friends. I served on her board. And just every Sunday that I, I would go to church, I would come away feeling like I had something that I could use in my personal life to make my life better. A horrible thing to have her murdered when you had that kind of uh, feeling and connection with her, don't you think, Hyde? Absolutely, and I'm, it's just a bizarre way that she was murdered, with somebody dressing up, etc. I mean, I can't even imagine what that was like for you. Well, uh, a few months before that, uh, I, had, I had separated from my second wife and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and ended up going back to school. So I was, I was in Santa Barbara, although uh, for, geez, six or seven months after I moved down to Santa Barbara, I stayed on the church board and, and would come back and forth. Uh, and so Carol Ruth and I stayed, stayed really close. And it was, it, it was, it was just shocking to, to think that, that something had happened to her. And I determined then that her lessons had meant so much to me that at some point I was going to write a book about her and her lessons and what those had meant to me. Now let me interrupt you here because when your wife, you married, and she's a marriage and family therapist, which is of course dear to Heidi, to my heart particularly because I am also, but your second wife, Carol, when she got ill and you were taking care of her, you used the lessons of Reverend Knox you interspersed them through this book, the story of you're going through the death of your wife to ovarian cancer. You use the lessons of Reverend Knox to talk about in there and how it and the how it got you through Carol's death. Am, am I correct about that? You are. As I as I was saying, I had determined that I was going to write a book about Carol's uh, Reverend Knox's lessons, and I went to work for the Air Force. It seemed. Uh, too incongruous to, to be writing about Air Force operations during the day and writing about spiritual lessons at night. So I waited until I retired. And in 2007, I retired. By this time, I had gathered everything that I could from Reverend Knox and, and just inundated myself in her lessons and began writing the book about her lessons. And about two years into the project, my wife, Carol, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And I thought at the time, okay, if these lessons have any value, they will help me now. They will help me be with her during this time. And so, yes, the the book is about applying the lessons that I had learned years ago from Reverend Knox to the the situation of being with my wife uh, with her ovarian cancer. Well, Heidi, now, doesn't that pique your interest, Heidi, about what are some of these lessons? Absolutely. I was just going to ask that. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. One, I would highlight about three. One, uh, one of Reverend Knox's lessons was the idea of non-duality. We tend to label things in our life as either good or bad. And actually, we, we label them, but by how we feel. If, if it hurts, we'll label it bad. If it feels good, we'll label it good. Uh, but 
what she suggested is just, in essence, accepting this is something that is. It's neither good or bad. It's something that is. You know what? That makes me think of just like going to the dentist, where it hurts, but you know it's good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but how do you apply that when you've had the death of someone that you love? The idea that it's good or bad, because from where I'm sitting, the death of my brother is bad. Okay. Let's, Let's go back to, not to the death, but to the diagnosis. Uh, of my mm-hmm. wife's cancer. What okay. this allowed me to do was accept the fact. One of, one of the other lessons that's very close to this came from a fellow named Adyashanti. And his primary teaching is, I let everything be as it is. Now, coming to that place with my wife's diagnosis, what this, what this really did was free me from getting hung up and saying, oh, why did this happen to me? Oh, why did this happen to her? Uh, here's a woman who's doing God's work, and, and why, why would God let this happen? And if, if I get caught up in that, I'm so spun up that my mind is only on that, and I cannot focus on being with her. And what I was able to do is have my mind clear enough to say, okay, I can't fix this, but what can I do? And my conclusion was, what I can do is be consciously present with her. I like that. And you, you also talk about being authentic. Absolutely. Talk about that, because I think there are a lot of men who are afraid to be authentic in the face of death. Well, the, the thing is, one of the things that I learned out of this was how few men, how ill-prepared we as men are to become caregivers. This has been a role that, going back for millennia, has been a woman's role. And as our society gets older, we find more and more men are placed in this position, and we're not prepared for it. And one of the, one of the big things, in being authentic, one of the gifts I had is having some other men around me that I could completely trust and come and say, this is what's going on with me. I have a friend, Greg Finch, and Greg is absolutely priceless in my life. I could sit over lunch or over coffee and talk with him and say, you know, I'm I'm really hurting this. I'm really struggling with this. And and I didn't have to put up a front of being brave. I I could say, you know, this is is really hard stuff. I'm concerned that I'm going to lose her. Uh, And I could be there, be authentic with him, be absolutely honest with him, and this would let me get this off my chest, uh, face up to, to my greatest fears, and then come back and be consciously present with her. You know, I think sometimes uh, women tend to be such um, caregivers of the expectation. Sometimes they don't leave the space for men. It was just you and her. But I know, I know sometimes, particularly with children, where the mother's in there at the hospital all the time or wherever, sometimes there's not, they don't open the space, and people don't feel competent. Do you think sometimes men just don't feel competent in the role? Well, I think men feel ill-prepared for the role and don't feel confident. In this instance, it it was really clear to me when I let go of trying to fix it, of just being consciously present with her, it was really clear to me there are things that are mine to do, and being consciously present with her, I promised her 
I will hold your hand throughout this entire process. And I did. There were things that were mine to do, but there, there were things that I could let go of and let other people do. Now, who who's holding your hand now? Uh, well, Greg is still there. Uh, and and I, I do have family and friends around. Uh, but the, the truth is, in being able to be consciously present with her, accepting that this is what we were confronting, accepting that I couldn't fix it, but I could be with her, has allowed me to come through it, and, and I think come through it much more whole than I would have if I had not come to this place of acceptance in the beginning. Well, what if I haven't, uh, this didn't happen for me, and I'm a guy out there, and I'm listening to you now, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, so he feels good about how he took care of his wife. Now, what's he doing now? What can I do now? Okay, what, if, if another man was confronting this, one of the first things that, that I would suggest to him is trying to reach his place of acceptance. I did this by looking at it non-dualistically. This is not good or bad. It just is what is. I also looked at it from the perspective, I believe that God is everywhere present. And if God is everywhere present, God is in this too. I don't know how it's going to turn out. All I know is how I can show up. I can be there for her. I can be there present with her. I can give her the best care that I can. Uh, but I have to release the outcome. How about showing if up for I you? Don't. Are you showing up for yourself right now? I mean, I think you are. Yeah. I think that I, being I on the radio I, and you're doing workshops too, right? For people? I, I am. Talk about that I a am. little bit, what you're presently doing to show up. Well, I, I the analogy that's come to me is anyone who's had first aid knows the difference between uh, treating a wound that, that is, that is a, a cut and treating a puncture wound. Now, a, a, a wound that's a cut, you, you clean it out, you sew it up, and you let it heal. But a puncture wound, you have to, to keep it clean, but keep it open and let it heal from the inside. And I've come to see doing interviews, doing workshops, talking to people about what I've learned is like healing a puncture wound and healing myself from the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, Heidi and, I have, Heidi and I have found that service is important, haven't we, Heidi? And it sounds like Koi is doing this. Absolutely, and I love some of the things he's saying about lessons learned. You, you, you know, I like the idea, at one point you said, of not looking at ourselves as, as victims, realizing that we can't fix it, and letting everything be as it is. Yep. Koi, could you talk about one other thing, the prayer chain sure. around the world? I wanted to get this in before before we ended the show, because I thought that was touching. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, miss, I uh, missed the question. Prayer, you were talking in your book about having yes, a prayer yes. chain around well, the world. One of the, one of the things that, that I did, certainly Carol, Carol and I uh, stayed open for, for a miraculous healing, and I do believe in the uh, power of prayer. And, and uh, all the people on my email list and on her email list uh, we sent out asking people to hold her in their consciousness, to pray however they felt uh, comfortable in praying. Uh, and I called Silent Unity and, and had people there praying. And as it turned out, we had friends around the world. I had friends in Africa, have a friend in the Philippines, we had friends in Korea, uh, we had friends who were Jewish, we had friends who, who were Catholic, we had friends who were Christian 
friends who are Buddhists, uh, and all of these people prayed in whatever their tradition was. And my, my promise to them is I will keep you informed all along the way. So anytime there was any development, uh, development with Carol, I sent out an email to everybody on the prayer chain and said, okay, this is where we are now. Okay, I love and, that. How about you, Hyde? I think it's wonderful. And, and, you know, Stanford University, there was a study that came out of Stanford showing the power of prayer, and they actually did a study showing that it is very powerful and it does help people heal. Yep. Well, Coy, yeah. we've got to end our show now, so I want to tell people they ought to get the dance. It's with a D-H-A-N-C-E, the dance, and I believe Reverend Knox used to say dance in her um, accent from Boston, right? So you named it dance. <laughs> I like that. There's a website. It's T-H-E-D-H-A-N-C-E dot com. And you can go there, get the book, uh, do a blog on there. You can follow it if, you, if you're so inclined. Absolutely. And they can get your book on Amazon, I assume? Yes. Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I highly recommend that people get your book because we just barely touched the surface of all the goodies in there and hearing about his relationship with his wife, Carol. And, and it's just uh, such a rich, wonderful book. And thank you again for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, and also I, people I really can find out about their, your workshops, right? On your yes. on your website, so yes. you might want to do some things with Koi connected with that. Again, thanks, Koi. Thanks, Koi. Okay, thank you. Well, Heidi, that was a really interesting show. As I said, I mean, how could we encapsulate such a full life in twenty minutes? Right, and I, I think one of the takeaways for me was the idea of being present mm-hmm. and not not really arguing with what's the reality of what's going on and letting things be as they are. And not getting into this, is it good or is it bad, this judgment thing. Mm-hmm. Staying in the present, because he really was with his wife at the end, because he stayed focused and with her in the, in the moment. Right, and, and I think being your authentic self, particularly for men in the grieving process, is an, is an amazing thing. and Very good. Well, thanks for listening today, and please stay tuned in again next week, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.